Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. I try to give you the smartest radio show dedicated to getting you to retirement. I try to bring you stories that go, oh, I understand why I own Google. Um, for instance, Google Fiber. They started five years ago in Kansas City. They spread to Austin. They went to Provo, Utah. Typically, most people think that it's not going to last. That it, their intentions were, are to influence the behavior of incumbents or regulators or both. You know, if Google can go into a city and Comcast offers similar services to Comcast and Comcast has to lower their price then you can make a case to regulators that, hey, why are they overcharging San Francisco but undercharging in Provo, Utah, where they've got competition? But now Google has said that they may go into Chicago and L.A. And you don't go into Chicago and L.A. Those are big, big areas. So to do that, it's showing you dedication to the project long-term and not just the short-term thought. So I try to show you things like this. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Short-term is bad. Because building a fiber network is expensive. Anyhow, and anyway, let's go up, move forward. Um, Lululemon shares are plunging in pre-market trading and market trading today. Company reported third quarter earnings that missed expectations. Um, and they've just got a lot of inventory. More than half the U.S. renters are older than 40 right now. That's a fundamental shift over the past decade that reflects the lasting damage to the housing crash in an aging population. Single-family houses are a growing share of rentals. Apartment construction increasingly targets tenants with six-figure incomes. Rents increased 7% between 2001 and 2014. When you adjust for inflation, incomes fell 9%. One analyst thinks oil goes lower in 2016. Just not seeing anything that could put upward pressure on prices. Demand is weaker. And you may see Iran come back to the market. And there's just a lot of oil. The Obamacare penalty this year for not having health care it's going to be about $969. That's a pretty big That's a pretty big jump. 47% higher than the average $661 penalty this year. 
Um, any of you are a family that has uh, affluence, i.e. if you earn too much to qualify for financial aid, the penalty is going to be $1,450 roughly. I don't know. When people start seeing that, are they going to still love the free health care? When people don't pay for the health care? Um, gasoline prices are nearly uh, at seven-year lows. Let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton, talking fee-based financial planning and some other topics. What do we need to know about fee-based financial planning? Well, um, it's interesting. The term fee-based isn't really necessary uh, available to use by certified financial planner practitioners anymore. You're either fee-only or you're a combination, right? So you're either fee-only or you're not. <laughs> so um, fee-based in the past is somebody that did most of their work either by charging a fee for financial planning um, or uh, an hourly or flat fee for a financial plan or assets under management, so a certain percentage of ass, uh, fee on assets that they manage for the person. And every once in a while, if they had to deal with an insurance product or something like that, there would be there might be a commission involved, but should be fully disclosed. The whole idea of working with an advisor, you never want to work with, in my opinion, a commission-only advisor because they have to sell you something to get paid. Uh, fee-only advisor, that's great. You just have to say, are you a fiduciary? Can you actually sign a form or tell me that you are abide by the fiduciary standard, meaning you do everything you can in my best interest versus your best interest? So a lot of the people that charge fees but work with some of the larger firms that have specific funds and ETFs and stock portfolios that they kind of have to sell, they can't really say that they act as a fiduciary. So whatever the, the matter is, is you, you got to interview your financial planners. Make sure they're certified financial planner practitioners. Uh, find out exactly how they get paid. Have a clear understanding of that and be comfortable with it. Um, and then a lot of times they might be able to go out and even get you without a load, even good loaded funds, for example. So that's something that's confusing. Sometimes we'll be able to get into a fund, and it looks like an A-share fund, Rob, right, which p- people typically have to pay 5.75 to get into, big chunk off the top, which means they have to get, what, 9% or so to break even. Okay. But if people that uh, do fee-only financial planning and investment advice, you can get those funds without having to pay the load. So that's kind of nice, too. So it opens up one of the advantages of working with an advisor like that is that I'm kind of agnostic. I like some index funds. I like some ETFs. I like individual stocks that pay dividends. And every once in a while, if we find a fund that makes our fund screen, especially for the international or small cap side, but they, you know, most people have to pay a load, we can actually get into that type of a fund that has great returns or, or great risk management without paying a load because we have the advantage of being a, an advisor versus a, a retail investor. So that's a, how Z shares work and loaded funds and one of the advantages of a financial advisor. Yeah, there's kind of, though, you have to be careful because some advisors that are really kind of in in this limbo area where they're working for a firm and they're trying to really be fee-based, but they're kind of disguising themselves under certain types of shares. Some of them might be Z shares or C shares. A lot of times they'll go in, oh, yeah, there's no front-end load to get into these funds, and it pays me 1% a year or so, but the internal fees are actually much larger than an ETF or an index fund that, uh, you know, a person that actually is a fee advisor charges. So sometimes 
you know, again, you got to put these things in writing and make sure the person's not getting any kickbacks from the mutual funds um, and that it is a true, clear relationship. Obviously, people need to get paid for what they do. And you want a good advisor that's fairly compensated for what they do. What you just need is the clarity around it. So there are certain types of funds that they appear to be no load, but guess what? The fees are twice as high as a no load fund and they're kind of kicking back 1% or so to the firm or the advisor. So you just got to be careful. Anything else that we need to know on this topic? Um, yeah, just just be comfortable. Um, a, a good relationship for the financial advisor, there should be, uh, you should be able to feel like you can tell them everything. Um, okay. A client that I recently turned down is because they just didn't feel like they wanted to give two years of their tax returns. They didn't feel like they wanted to talk about their estate plan and where they wanted their money to go. They're just like, um, no, we just kind of want you to do this, and, and if, if we like it later, we'll handle everything else. Well, if you don't feel comfortable with the relationship with your advisor, then get somebody that you are comfortable with because you have to be able to talk to them almost like a counselor. Good stuff. That's CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. I do seminars with him all the time. There's good information at newfocusfinancial.com. There's downloadables. There's quizzes you can take to figure out your financial score. Check it out. That's CFP Chad Burton at newfocusfinancial.com. Yahoo's suspending plans to spin off its Alibaba stake, basically keeping it as an Alibaba play for now. Will Verizon or somebody step in and take the assets of um, <clears throat> Alibaba? That's the, you know, not Alibaba. Uh, no. Will Verizon take the old assets from Yahoo? I think that's what they're kind of hoping on. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Money, investing, and more. What did you think about that story about half the U.S. renters are older than 40? Remember the uh, 40-year-old virgin in the movie? Eh, he wasn't living with mom and dad. He had his own place. But at some point in time, doesn't it? Aren't we expecting to be out and on our own and have our own home? Is it the American dream? Is the American dream dying? I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Take a break here. I'll be right back. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. Costco Wholesale. They're one of those... I'm not going to say Amazon-proof companies, because when it comes to getting a big screen TV, I may jump on Amazon and get it primed delivered to my house. Who wants the the lugging it around kind of thing. Maybe I'll go to Best Buy and say, hey, put your nerds in charge and have them install it for me. So Costco's not completely, you know, uh, online shopping proof. But they're trying to be by providing gasoline and things at their store that are cheap, uh, like food. I think I did a story not too long ago where they're the 14th largest pizzeria in the nation. 
Um, Costco released better than expected November same store sales last week. Um, some people say all I want for Christmas is Costco stock. Today, the wholesaler got jolted with a surprise and quarterly profit drop. Um, growth in membership fees slowed. Gas prices fell. Strong U.S. dollar continues to put pressure on the stock and on revenue. So do we still want Costco stock from Santa? Let's talk about it. First and foremost, I, I remain positive. Their secular story remains intact. One of the longest growth runways in retail. There's no reason why the business can't continue to, you know, comp at 5 to 6% if you exclude foreign exchange and fuel. For the foreseeable, again, gasoline prices drop, their sales look like they drop. For the foreseeable uh, future, with some unique strengths in fresh food and the Kirkland brand, which is driving you know healthy traffic growth. Now, you may be the most fashionable person in San Francisco. I know you. I've met you before. You look good. And you go, Kirkland brand, I'll never buy Kirkland jeans. Go to Louisiana. Go to Mississippi. Go to Iowa. Go to North Dakota. Go to South Dakota. You'll see people a lot less fashionable than you. The company, the club, remains understored. There's just 120 Costco's outside North America, suggesting the potential for 5% unit growth for the next 10 to 15 years. That's a long time in your investment world. Remember, you invest from age 20 to 60. You've got a profitable e-commerce division, and services revenue have become a bigger part of sales. Uh, I know people that, hey, I need new tires, I'm going to Costco. Hey, I need a mortgage, I'm going to Costco. Their vacation plans, pretty sharp as well. So they're a modest company. They're not flashy in any way, shape, or form, in my opinion. So can they get 10 to 12% earnings for interest and taxes? That's the expectation for the next 5 to 10 years. Can they get earnings for interest taxes of 10%? That's pretty darn good. Now, there's some positive non-earnings catalysts on the horizon, though not imminent. Some analysts are nearing the likely timing of the next membership fee increase, which could be 2016. A lot of people get those uh, Costco cards and they keep them and they put them on their credit card and they don't even realize, whoops, I got billed again. Anytime they've raised prices, it's been good for the shares. Management has utilized special dividends as a way to return money to shareholders. The last was occurring in February. I would expect another one at some point in the next 12 to 18 months. Get a big fat dividend check. Sweet. Your money makes baby money. I love it. And your baby money goes out and makes baby money. Thank you. Thank you very much, money. Um, so Costco is the second largest retailer in the United States behind Walmart. And it's one of the largest sellers of fuel. Revenue was $27.2 billion in the quarter. If you go write that down, $27.2 billion. Do it with all the zeros. And you'll probably say a curse word like, holy mackerel. Costco is obviously vulnerable, though, to the same thing that other things, uh, to the same thing, same, a lot of the issues that plague the market right now. Stronger dollar, 
Um, more than a quarter of their sales comes from overseas. And again, that's going to be growing, which is a great thing, but currency uh, risk is there for sure. Especially if you think the Fed's going to raise interest rates for the next year. Slowly, maybe really slowly over the next three years if things go well. It's one of the nation's largest retailers of fuel. You don't think of Costco as that, do you? Or maybe you do. Maybe I don't. So, is it time to consider Costco? I'd, I'd want it for Christmas. If Santa could bring it to me, I'd be like, that's cool. Um, consult a broker advisor for taking action on any stocks mentioned on the show. Again, I'll just throw that out there. Some other names that I think are attractive, quote-unquote, opportunities. Um, you have to look at things that may not look great to you. You have to look for things that may have some value tied towards them. Um, I think Wells Fargo looks pretty interesting as far as a potential investment. It's one of those U.S. banks that should do better. It's one of those U.S. banks that's well-liked. If I say Wells Fargo, you're like, oh, you're a pretty good company. If I say Bank of America, you're like, boo, boo, boo. Um, where I think there's a lot of value right now is in Europe. So names like Siemens, uh, Man Group, names like, uh, you know, Siemens is a German stock, Man Group is a UK stock, um, Axo Noble from the Netherlands, Wolseley from the UK. These are all businesses that are great, huge businesses that aren't going to go out of business anytime soon. You know, when you get a, like a German defense company, you're like, I'd never heard of Rheinmetall. Um, so maybe you own it in a fund. Maybe you go for an international high-quality stock fund. Um, you can find them. Some of them have pretty big front-end loads. That's one of the reasons you might want to work with a CFP, so they can get you funds and diversification to international markets without paying that 5%. Um like one that I really like, but I don't like the fees for the average person, is the Wells Fargo Advantage International Equity Fund, ticker symbol WFEAX. If you could work with a professional and get the fees waived, that's awesome. But paying 5.5% or 4.5%, I think it's 5.5%. That's asking for a lot. Uh, Yahoo's in the news today. CEO Marissa Mayer was on CNBC, and she got grilled. Uh, there's something called the credibility gap and people are, are attacking her now on the validity of her plan it looks like she's down to 6 to 12 months left at the company because shareholders can't be happy can't be thrilled activists are ripping at her media's chewing into her the board of directors hears that stuff I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing and more Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money 
1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking all things investable. Thanks for listening to the show. Money investing, retirement issues sometimes aren't the coolest. But let's talk a little bit about one of my stocks that I own, and I know a lot of you own as well, Apple. Um, First disclosure, I have a financial interest in the stock. I should let that be thrown out there. It's been a very good year for Apple. 2015 saw the iPhone 6S and the 6S+. Saw the Apple Watch. Saw a new Apple TV. It did get Apple Music and the iPad Pro. All of them sell billions of dollars of goodies. That's a start, right? 650 million iOS devices are in use today. 475 million iPhones are in gaining share. Apple has started using a term in their conference calls called switchers. It's got the third largest operating system install base behind Android and Windows. The global share has gone from 14.7% up to 16.2% this year in the iPhone units. That's pretty impressive. The State of the Union, when you start looking at it, the amount that's coming from China and India, they're seeing 100% growth. In the United States, 74% of teens say their next phone will be an iPhone versus 72% a year ago. So they're able to, the teen is important in large part because the teen purchases. They're more likely to purchase music. They're more likely to purchase apps. They're more likely to uh, stay with that ecosystem, which is you know, the critical angle of what Apple's trying to accomplish at this point in time. At the, at the very least, I think down the road... Uh, as I've aged, you know, this is a pretty good example. I used to have the fastest desktop, and I've been around a while. I'm not old as dirt, but I'm also not young as spring chicken. But my first computer was an 8086, then it was a 286 processor, and then a 386, and then a 486, and then went to the Pentium. And then quite honestly, I've now given up on figuring out, you know, what's the fastest one and such. I no longer play video games on my computer, so I don't need the fastest computer. I don't want the fastest computer. I want a good, durable computer. So, at some point in time, same thing should happen to the iPhone. You know, will we need a 40-gig camera? Will it become an 80-gig camera? Will it become a 900,000-megapixel camera? At some point in time, like maybe we'll just take you know holograms of each other. I don't know. But innovation should start slowing down. When we don't know yet. So are the cycle. And one of the ways that they're trying to alleviate that drop off of high demand for you know new technology will be a subscription business. So we know that you can get a subscription to music services like Spotify or Apple Music or Netflix. 
but why not the hardware itself? So iPhone and Apple introduced that concept in 2015, and it's gonna pl we'll see how, how sticky it gets in 2016. Because right now, a lot of people don't even know about it. In 2016, we'll get the iPhone 7. We'll get new watch hardware. We'll see Apple Pay get more features. Uh, will we ever see Apple TV streaming, or what will it look like as a similar service to Netflix? We know that Apple likes to take their time and, quote-unquote, do things right. So we're patient. And, you know, both as an investor and as kind of a fanboy. The iPhone's become a subscription business, so think about that. You can throw down $35 a month, $35 a month, $35 a month. After 12 months, you've got roughly, you know, $400. Get a new iPhone. They get a monthly cash flow, which they would love. And they also get a future buyer, you know, that's already prepaid. Uh, so that moves the needle. We'll see, you know, again, how many people say, I want the subscription versus going out and getting a brand new one every year where, you know, through a Verizon or something, you can get a discount after two years. So that's going to get international, uh, the whole subscription model as well. Getting a new iPhone every year at no additional cost, this is possible by streamlining high iPhone resale value. So not only do you get a new phone, but you give up your old phone. And people want the old phones. So they're kind of serving a lot of markets here. So uh, the iPhone upgrade program, the AT&T upgrade program, Verizon, T-Mobile, uh, the iPhone forever, you know, what are the monthly program fees going to be? Do you turn in your phone to them? Do you not? So... I don't know. I, I think there's going to be some stickiness to it. So there's been a survey as Apple as a service. And the percentage of annual upgrades from 10% in 2014 to 18% in 2015. You can see estimates going as high as 75% in 2020 if people upgrade from every 22 months to every 15 months. Um, that's pretty dramatic growth for a service as well as hardware. Now, in 2016, Apple's going to introduce a new iPhone 7. Typically, what they do is they do a whole new design. And the idea is that they're going to lose the home button. And the home button's going to be replaced with 3D Touch. And there's potential for a Sapphire screen, which is a much uh, more durable, harder screen. Uh, so they're expecting a full redesign for the iPhone 7. There's a lot of speculation that Apple's also going to do a smaller iPhone in 2016, in the spring. <clears throat> I was talking with a friend, and she's like, I like your iPhone 6. I was like, I, I like it. It's big. And she goes, it's a little too big for me. And I don't even have the, the big one. I don't have the plus. It's just not me at this point in time. Um, I don't know. Maybe as my eyes get worse kind of thing. So the iPhone 6C, the speculation is that it's going to be launched in the spring, and it'll be a small phone. But it'll have the hardware upgrade that the 6 has. So there's a strong case for doing this. There's a strong case against doing it. Um, anytime you introduce a product that's cheaper, 
um, you can hurt your margins and you can hurt your, yeah, you can hurt your margins is probably the best way of saying that. But 20% of people, one in five people who have iPhones say they prefer a smaller screen. Uh, I find that the six plus is just, it's too big. You know, it's, you need a man purse to carry it around and eh, sometimes you don't want to walk around with a man purse. So now they're going to have different sizes. The 6C will be 4 inch. The 6S, 4.7 inches. The 6S Plus will be 5.5. No one really expects the 7 to change sizes from what the current 6S is at. Um, the watch is probably the next product that we should talk a little bit about. Estimates are that they got at least 3.3 million units from uh, for 2015. So more during the holiday season for sure. Is it a breakout? We'll have to see if the holiday season makes it a breakout. Otherwise, no. Now, 2016, they're expecting 20 million total units. In 2017, 40 million units. And the percentage of revenue will jump from 2% today to 4% in 2016 to 7% in 2017. The watch really seems to be most useful for weather navigation, health and fitness, and a little bit of social networking. Other than that, it doesn't seem to have that, you know, killer app. Now, the operating system version 2, it's enabled native third-party apps, 14,000 watch apps currently versus 6,000 in June. Supply chain right now is suggesting updated watch probably mid-2016. Killer feature is when you decouple it from the iPhone. And that's when you're going to see it start having some revenue growth. Apple Pay, the number of retailers accepting it, and the number of banks are jumping. Um, still, a lot of people have the feature but don't use the feature. So they have to figure out how to get us to do it. So payments interface player, not a payments platform, is the way of thinking about it. This will not reinvent the banking system. Digital wallet, for me, is fantastic. I would prefer to leave my cards at home and just use my phone. Um, Highly recommend. So just throwing it out there for you. uh, That, you know, my my cards are their problem. When I go to the gym, my wallet slips out of my bag and my cards hit the floor. They scatter. I like having the Apple Pay. Apple TV had a huge first day of sales and it's adding more and more to revenue four of the top six growth apps right now are hulu the nfl cbs the nhl so people are starting to replace a little bit of their tv sports on apple i'm rob black talking all things financial money investing and more maybe 2019 we get a titan car we'll see out of apple how long it takes for us to see it Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station.
every now and then you go to a, a conference, an expo, a show. Sometimes I sit in on them from across the country just to see what's going on. I saw one yesterday where there was a panel of teens. And it was shocking some of the things you learned. The interviewer asked seven teenagers how often they called their friends on the phone. Six out of seven said never. Some people FaceTime their friends, but they would never just call them. Yeah, I'll never call, another one said. FaceTime is an iPhone-only service that lets users video chat each other. One person said, I can easily just text. I don't see the point of a phone call. So I think you're to deduce here that the future of communication, I think it's in teenagers' hands. I can tell you that, let's stop and think for a second about your phone and how I don't leave messages anymore because people see that I called and they back. Now, if it's a business call, I'll leave a message for sure. At work, I haven't checked my business phone. You know, I, I people leave messages. They go, no, I'm not going to leave a message. The people who leave voice messages on my, my television, um, I work at Channel 4 Cron in television. And I have a desk. In radio, I don't have a desk. Uh, but in television, I do. When people, you know, dial my extension, they don't leave a message. And the people that do, they're crazy. So I never listen to them. So... I think communication is changing. And even in adults, it's, you know, it's subtle, but it's there. So between texting, FaceTime, Instagram, and Snapchat, a lot of teens said they feel as if they're constantly in contact with their closest friends. Now, two people could not talk in person, but they have the biggest social life on their phones. Um, And, you know, I, I... I think I have some relationships now that are or much more text-based than ever, you know, physical. I know I've got some, I, that's Facebook for in a lot of people, right? I get to check in on family members, you know, pictures and such. And I'm never going to see these guys again until my mom dies. So a lot of things are moving towards uh, different ways of communication. Uh, do you remember when you used to go get birthday cards for people? Now, birthday cards and Christmas cards, people are just putting on Facebook. Instead of calling someone on their birthday, you, you text them. Or you, you know, post on Facebook, Happy birthday! Hope San Francisco is treating you well! Does anyone see the merit of a phone call anymore? Um, it's changing. And that's really all I want to say, you know, that we really have to pay attention to what Facebook and Apple are trying to do. Because I, 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 there's investments to be made and to be had. Lulu Limon, Athletica, the yoga wear retailer reported lower than expected quarterly profit, bloated inventories, and spending on international expansion squeezed margins. So the firm also cut their upper end of their full-year revenue guidance. Wall Street tends not to like the bloated inventories. Now, Lululemon makes clothes that are meant for indoors, typically. So they're not, I don't think they're making a lot of, uh, maybe somewhat. I tend to think of their stuff as more gym wear, but 
It's called athleisure. So the inventories are a little bit of a problem. It's a problem. You know, if you're Banana Republic and you go big on fur coats for winter, and then people are like, hey, I don't wear fur. That's horrible. So now you have a lot of fur coats left over, and you have to slash prices 10, 20, 30, 40, 50%, right? So Lululemon, ticker symbol L-U-L-U, it's been a roller coaster of a stock, has it not? It has a pretty high valuation, which means you don't have a lot of room for mistakes. It's got a ton of support around 40. It's currently at 48. I own no shares of Lululemon directly. But if we were to go into like a 7, 8, 9, 10 bad day on the stock market, I might. I see a lot of support around 40. I see that's where people are, you know, going the valuation. I see a lot more men and women wearing athleisure as a category. And they're a player. But in the world of athleisure, I have to go, okay, I got some Nike. Hmm. Do I also, do I need Lululemon? And then you go, I got some Under Armour. And I'm like, whoa, I got a lot of athleisure all of a sudden. So you always have to make a decision on, you know, how much is appropriate. I like moderation and moderation. And that's one of my secrets. You know, I don't get excited. Uh, There's a song called The Excitable Boy. I'm not him. Back to Apple real quick. Uh, We were just talking about 2016, 2000, you know, the expectations. The next big product, could it be a car? So media reports are suggesting a 2019 target. They've got a 600-plus person team with potential to triple. They've been hiring from Tesla, from Ford, NVIDIA employees. They've had an inquiry to test the GoMintum station. Could they sell 30,000 units in one year? Tesla sold 35,000 units in 2014. By 2024, you know, the Titan, as it's being called, would be about 2 to 3% of revenue. Long term, you would make a bullish case, you'd make a bearish case. Could the Titan replicate the success of BMW, which sold 1.8 million cars in 2014? If they could, that would be $135 billion in revenue for Apple. You also have something that they're starting to work on, mixed reality. They're expected mixed reality to replace smartphones over time. Google Glass that ultimately works. So they've got a lead engineer from HoloLens. They've hired uh, tons of people in virtual reality, mixed reality. So about 129 employees right now. Google's got about 256. Facebook has about 62 in this zone. I'm Rob Black. Hey.